This episode is brought to you by Wondrium. For a free month trial of unlimited access, go to wondrium.com slash probably. That's W-O-N-D-R-I-U-M dot com slash probably. Probably science. Hey everyone, welcome to Probably Science. I'm Matt Kirshen. I'm Andy Wood. I'm Jesse Case. Am I just am I just back now? Is that what's happening? I, I think if you want to be back, you're back. I think that's the, the yeah. I'll be back. Have, people that's have spoken. awesome. Yeah, you. you, you yeah, no, I'll be being back. I I love I'll you be, being back. No, I love it too. I just I worry that you guys got so many new, new listeners. They don't like. Okay, here's here's my worry, is that um, you know I take I'm I'm an acquired taste as I was before. No, I, no, I remember when I first joined. It was a lot up front. That first month was touch and go. And then people are like, oh, I kind of get this guy, you know, but it took a minute. Uh, so I worry that you have a bunch of new listeners that are like, who is this? You know, <laughs> I think no. it's going to be more people who are glad we're going back to the golden era. Um, the golden age, back when we were I'm young. I assume that was. Yeah, right. Oh, man. Um, we were outside in a, in a house with the weird guys. Well, yep. we were just, Jesse and I were just talking about off mic about the... The roommates. I think it's been it's been six years. I think we can just talk about them with impunity now, and <laughs> sure, not have to be yeah. worried about any kind of. A, I miss that I think house I, so much, though, man. I really. It was it was very fun. Well, and it's also the fact that, like, uh, you know, because inevitably, like, I have to get back to L.A. and you know, this pandemic, everything's crazy. But it's like I've got to get back there. But like, I'm never going to find a deal like that again. Oh, never. And I knew no. that when we were living in it. I, I was appreciative of the fact. I think I, I know what you paid, probably less, but I think I was paying less than $1,000 for a, yeah. basically a wing of this house that's yeah, I was now paying like a less $6 than, million. Dollar, I was paying know. less than 1000 to live in like a $6 million house. Yeah. And, and well, I mean, at the time, it was like with a million the big, and a half, With like a but, huge pool that was like, you, when you used to have pool parties, it was like, oh no, there's space for 100 comics to just be hanging around for oh, yeah. comfortably. Picking yeah. your own oranges off the tree and uh, put the put the juicer out so people can make their own. And yeah, we had, fresh and we had to deal with two really odd older housemates. Yeah, very odd. I and I moved there. I moved into that house a week after. Like I moved to L.A. with no place to live. I was staying in like uh, a travel lodge in Hollywood while I was looking for apartments. So I I got that place because it was just like I had a lead and it was like you can get out of that dumb motel like it's crappy and seedy stay here for a week while you find a place and then i was like this is uh incredible can i live here can i just and live then, here how do i live I, here when i came to visit in like 2010 2011 i stopped by to see you saw where you were living at the time the pool was full of green water uh and i, yeah, like, I had like don't a care i don't care toxic algae bloom yeah green water i still when they're yeah when you got the pool sorted you never got the the hot tub sorted that was always just we, toxic we, we yeah. tried. We had the weirdest guy ever came out and, and talked to us about our hot tub. Um, that would have been, oh, been next level to get the hot tub going. Yeah. Well, well. speaking of weird things living in places, yes. we've got a guest this week. Do we, Matt? What's going on with that? We got a special guest, returning guest. You might remember we spoke to Mary Roach about her book, Grunt, which was all about the science of war. And now she has a new book out called Fuzz, which is about animal crimes. The, the interaction between animals and humans. And the crimes committed by them and by us. These deviant, deviant animals. Yeah, we we were really we we're really happy to have her back on. You'll you'll hear the interview in a second, but yeah, she's one of our favorite popular science writers. I'm sure most or certainly many of our listeners are very familiar with her work. 
Now, yeah, I think I was first familiar with her from Packing for Mars, which is outstanding. Yes. All of her books are, but um, that's a great place to start. But yeah, she's very good at, she's really good at delving into just finding the quirkier stories and finding the sort of odd human interest stories that float around the science world. Do you guys think that, so, so you know, this, this book, Fuzz, uh, and, and we're about to talk about it for quite a while with the author, of course, um, it, it's about animals breaking human laws. Do you guys think that we ever break animal laws? Like, like they think it's just insane that, like, we don't sniff each other's butts. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> just, you know what I mean? Or like, like, yeah, they're just like, like, I'm talking like major taboos. They're like, these people are, this is like savages. Do you see how long they just had eye contact? Right. Why, aren't they, why aren't they fighting? That's insane. He just walked into this room crotch first, like. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he scratched his butt with his hand, not against the carpet. What is yeah. wrong with this guy? <laughs> I'm definitely <laughs> violating rabbit laws by finally encircling my plants with chicken wire after a year of them eating everything I've tried to, to plant. Oh, I didn't realize you're actually in a war with a rabbit. Oh, I've been in a rabbit war since March 2020. Didn't know that, Andy. You've been going through this in silence. You've been suffering secretly. (laughs) Yeah. Many people people are silently suffering a war with a rabbit. I've got a thousand yard stare. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Well, anyway, Mary joined us, uh, and here is the interview that we had with her. Thank you for joining us, Mary. Uh, this, This book is great. We really enjoyed it. Like we've enjoyed all of your books. Uh, can I? Can I just ask before you, we we get into the details of the book? How much did you travel for this? Because this was kind of ridiculous. You seem to be everywhere. <laughs> yeah, there was one flight from New Zealand to Rome. There is no direct flight from New Zealand to Rome. That was a very very long day. <laughs> you know, I have to go when the you know I was going to the Easter Mass that the Pope does which doesn't make any sense to listeners right now, but uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. I, <laughs> I had to get there, and the, t- the timing was such that, yeah, so I circled the globe, literally circled the globe in my reporting. Yeah, I wasn't, but really, honestly, what was it? Italy, New Zealand, India, United States. That's not, not really, right? Am I missing something? That's kind I of d- it. Uh, I, th- so, I, th- I think that's all of them, and, and, and all of these places have animals, they do. <laughs> That's a pro segue, Matt. Yeah. Yeah. They but, all have animals. <laughs> wow. That, that's what. That's one of the big revelations of the book. That there are animals in every country. <laughs> every. Well, let, let, let's get let's get into the actual body of the book, Jesse. I think you're about to ask something. I think I might have cut you off with a stupid joke. No, no. I mean, I was going to make a stupid joke. The moment's way past. It's, uh, it, it was like an all roads lead to Rome thing, but that's before New Zealand. Like it, it was bad. It was well, good. Well, yeah. Yeah, it was a, that's kind of a stinker. Yeah, it was. No, <laughs> was, I didn't even I didn't hear the actual joke, but I can tell. No, absolutely. And that's that's very intuitive of you, much like your intuition with animals, Mary. So, the, uh, <laughs> ooh, nice segue. <laughs> yeah, go ahead, Matt. Yeah, well, so so this book as as always your your books always focus on a on a segment of the interaction between humans and science that maybe has been not looked at in the same way that you're going to take a look at it and this is this is the world of animals and how they interact with humans but specifically from the angle of of crime of the the kind of crimes that animals might commit and also to an extent the crimes that humans might commit in relation to animals but particularly let's talk about animals and their criminal behavior if they were to be judged by human standards yeah well you know animals 
they uh, they do all the things that we consider crimes. Okay, murder, manslaughter. We're talking. We'll start with the felony crimes: murder, sure. manslaughter, home invasion, breaking and entering. Uh, the misdemeanors, a lot of those. We got uh, trespassing, littering, jaywalking. <laughs> um, I don't know what I'm forgetting, but there's a but so pretty much any. I mean, not white collar crime. <laughs> you don't have no much animal embez- <laughs> embezzlement. Animals embezzling, so far as I know. Um, so uh, m- mostly, but there's no animals lying about the value of mortgage-backed securities. <laughs> right. Not to my knowledge. I wish there were, because it would have been a really, really interesting book. <laughs> in that case. But, so, but as it is, you so you spent a lot of. It's it's very interesting. You spent a lot of time bouncing around the world, talking to. You, you I hadn't realized how many different different people there are whose jobs are basically to kind of police the interactions between humans and animals and and the way different countries treat it is very different like the way an animal attack is treated in america for example is very different to how it might be treated in india and and various other places yeah so that's that is what i was exploring yeah like the the different ways it's handled and also yeah the people like i had no idea there was a science human human wildlife conflict I mean, there are textbooks. There are people whose entire careers are devoted to human-wildlife conflict. And that breaks down into, <clears throat> excuse me, human-elephant conflict, human-snow leopard conflict. And there are <laughs> researchers in these very, very specific fields trying to figure out uh, how do we... I mean, it's basically like wildlife crime prevention because, you know, as any criminologist knows, it's better to prevent a crime than punish a crime, especially with animals. They're like, I'm just eating. I'm just trying right. to find a place to sleep. Leave me alone. What the hell? You know, they're, they're, they don't know they're committing a crime. They can't read the laws. They're just like, hey, this looks like a good place for a snack. Right, which is very much a recurring theme throughout the book of just this sort of, the, the way humans judge these animals' behavior is just, well, no, we, we're increasingly encroaching on their territories and we're making their food more scarce and then we're and then we're leaving lovely bins full of food outside of restaurants, and then we're wondering why bears come and knock into it. And yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. And yeah, bears and, and, and gulls and pigeons and raccoons and rats. And uh, I yeah. mean, basically, if you take away the the thing that's attracting them, the food source, then you're not you're right. not going to have a problem. So it's really more of a matter of human behavior. Except, uh, yeah, yeah. Except that this was one of my favorite chapters in the book. It. It seems that all of the animal experts and behaviorists, pretty much to a to a person, no matter how into animals and how much they got into the field and how much they love animals and want to protect animals and so on, all of them seem to agree that macaques are dicks. <laughs> I can't find anybody who loves a macaque, but yeah, because like they were in India. There's this the media gets really excited. The newspapers, like the tabloid newspapers get really excited about monkey things, monkey attacks. And it's always, it's always hyperbole. Like there was one where it was monkey stones man to death. And I was like, <laughs> okay, really? That's pretty extreme. I mean, I know they can yeah. be dicks. But then I, I looked in some other papers. Okay, here's what happened. There was a guy napping below a pile of, uh, I think it was bricks, and a troop of macaques ran over it, and they kind of started an avalanche of, heavy stone material falling down on the man, which I guess hit his head, and he died. That's not a stoning. Right. (laughs) They weren't circling the man and (laughs) calling him a witch. There was some other, yeah, another newspaper that said macaques are in armies marching across Agra, you know, like, so I'm, of course, picturing, you know, these monkeys with, you know, 
rifles over their shoulders in formation marching across. And they're, they're not. They run, you know, they're, they're annoying. They're definitely annoying. They, and they, they kidnap your belongings and hold them ransom for food. So they'll grab a cell phone. As far as I know, a monkey doesn't know how to use a cell phone. So they're, what they're doing is they they know that the person's good. The person wants the cell phone, so they're going to go up and they're going to hand, hand out some fruit, hold out fruit. The monkey will hand over the cell phone, and the ransom is delivered. They're pretty. They're pretty uh, sharp. Pretty right slick. They seem to even realize from your book they seem to even have learned what the higher values to humans objects are so like they they seem to have learned now that like okay if you get the phone they're really going to want it so you're definitely exactly. going to get some food off of this one i met this woman who's who is a asthma inhaler was ripped out of her <laughs> hand as though the monkey's like oh she's got to have that that's a <laughs> medical device <laughs> interesting my uh my cat has asthma and needs an inhaler and you use this special chamber called an arrow cat chamber thing and she's she's completely aware that it's a medical device like she hates it you know what i mean uh but she has learned like the difference the different importance of different meds she knows the regular steroid is the pill box it's more tolerable you know um so she'll she'll try to hide the inhaler quite a bit but she'll take it and try to get away from me she hasn't learned the value of the breathing uh, improvements she gets when she uses it? No, I don't think she's oh. associated the two. She thinks it's just like a painful moment. And, you know, because it's like maybe two hours later, the breathing gets, it's not a breakthrough. Oh, inhaler. okay. So like for, I'm assuming she doesn't operate the inhaler with her paws. So <laughs> you, which I'm picturing, but uh, yes. you, you have to <laughs> kind of grab her. I mean, I, I know how hard it is just to get you know, a cat to take a pill. Oh, so it's to, brutal. To actually get an inhaler. In the mouth? And- well, no, wow. no. It is, so it has a little sort of mask. It's it's like, it's basically the same way they give inhalers to babies. It's like a tiny face mask. Oh, I see. You oh. know, and it goes I mean, that does chamber. look adorable. Does, does your cat look like he's going down in a plane crash? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh, she, I think I misgendered your cat. No, no, it's okay. It's okay. She's she's very progressive. Um, yeah, it is uh, it is adorable. But she, you know, she absolutely, absolutely hates it. I wonder if using macaques if if you're dealing with a macaque problem surely that uh, people have to use that as an excuse a lot like sort of the dog ate my homework but it's macaque based issues you know i would imagine i would imagine that that's an excuse that people will readily buy because anybody you talk to in india they're like the the researcher i went to see um said that at least twice macaques have run in, you know, come in from the roof to the balcony into the office, strewn the papers around on the desk and then took off. So you could, you know, if you lost a, a folder or if things were out of order, you could definitely say, yeah, the macaque was in here again. Yeah. Yeah. I think they could probably get blamed for a lot. Meanwhile, th- th- this, there, there's a bunch of things in your book that once you write it, you're like, oh yeah, of course. Um, but it bears, certain bears, it seems, have learn how to get in and out of houses and steal food from the fridge with minimal destruction. And and the theory raised in the book is that the it's sort of natural selection. The bears that are the least destructive and learn how to be the most delicate going into houses are the most likely to be thought of kindly by the people who live in the area and not hunted down. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, wow. yeah. The bears that the bears that because people will people will say, Wow, he came in here 
but he didn't knock anything over. You know, like they'll, they're, people will marvel at that and they'll be less inclined to be like, motherfucker, I mean, you got to call, well, like, get this bear, you know, you got to set a trap. This bear is, you know, they, they, so, so yeah, they, so these bears, the gentle, the gentle giants, the ones that are just kind of like, I just want some ice cream. I'll be gone. <laughs> Don't mind me. Those bears are going to live longer. They're not because, you know, the bears that are really aggressive get whacked. They do. They, so they, you know, so they end up sort of passing on good house guest genes to the next generation. Right. Exactly. Exactly. So fast forward, you know, a couple decades, maybe bears will just kind of be like raccoons. Well, raccoons are actually kind of shits. They're kind of aggressive. <laughs> but they're, but, but yeah, we could, you know, hopefully um, reach a point where bears will just be moseying through the neighborhood like deer. And people go, oh, look at the bear. So nice. But we think the directionality of that isn't that they, uh, you know, heard tell from the uh, the rest of the bears in the den that if they're nicer, that it's more just like you're killing off the ones that aren't. And so you're left with these ones that happen to yes. like how evolutionary forces work. We don't think yeah, they've, exactly. they've learned in their lifetime to behave differently or anything. Yeah, exactly. It wasn't like they issued a press release. Right. Yeah. Guys, but, I've got it. I've got it. But they do <laughs> definitely learn as well. It, it seems like like the bears have learned either individually or from each other how to best sort of find food and where to look for it and how to even be yes. aware of when the patrols are coming around and so on. Yeah, they're very smart. They definitely learn. But in terms of bears, you know, evolving toward being uh, kind of a more mellow species, uh, it, it makes sense that the, you know, the, the real dickish ones, the really aggressive right. ones... Are that just are getting taken killed out. Yeah. when they're cubs even are are the ones yeah they're, they're, they don't get to pass on their genetic material and the mellow ones are just you know live long and procreate that's something so. i've always wondered about is is when when you're talking about things like animal crime and uh punishment for animal crime when it when a human commits a crime well first all animals that commit crimes are also nude which is two crimes <laughs> it's it's very weird if a naked guy broke in and, and <laughs> took your peanut butter but i i think like when a human commits a crime and you see it on the news all the time they show a photo or they show a surveillance cam thing and it's like it had these clothes on and, you're, and it looks like an individual person but a bear i'm not saying all bears look alike but do, <laughs> do wrong animals ever get charged for the crime surely if you just called the game warden and said a bear broke in any bear they see they're they're like what it, it was big and brown okay that fits the description <laughs> you know exactly. so it it makes me wonder um especially with things i don't know things that aren't that rare maybe a snow leopard it's probably the right snow leopard right right you know well the the, the um what they do uh, the place that I was in, in Colorado, um, they will set a culvert trap only for a few days so that if they're, you know, because the bears kind of, if they realize, okay, this is a, I can get into this house and there's some good stuff in there, they'll right. kind of come back. They're likely to hang out in the area. So um, they, they will only leave the trap up for a few days so that they're not so that they're you know likely to get the right one, but right. in the case of a of a, a killing, like when a, if a bear or a cougar kills someone, then they actually do some forensics, some DNA work to make sure they have the right bear. I mean, up in Canada, there's so many bears. Like there was a case where a woman got killed outside her trailer, and there's so many bears around that they they set a trap, but they did a DNA. They took DNA and they compared it with the, the victim, and there were two. 
two suspects were released because it was the wrong bear. They had the oh, wrong wow. bear and the wow. bear was released. So they do make an effort to make sure it's the right individual. The bear sued the Mounties for, yeah, for its <laughs> <Exactly>. trouble. <laughs> yeah, got a great settlement. Man. Working on a book. Yep. Yep. Well, yep. I, I would love to talk a bit about forensics because that's one of the first chap- fun of the first bits of the book. You're at a, uh, an animal attack forensics conference and learning how to distinguish between an animal attack and a human attack that is made to look like an animal attack. Yeah, or uh, a, a cougar versus a bear versus a wolf. I mean, the, uh, you, you have to first figure out the species before you can move on to, do we have the right individual? So you look at, and they had, first of all, they were holding it in a casino outside <laughs> Reno. That's where the conference was. And so like there's, we were in one conference room, and in the next room was a, a bingo game. So they, um, and every now and then the bingo people would walk down the hall to go to the bathroom. And our room is full of these soft touch mannequins that have been hacked up to look like <laughs> victims of bear and, and mountain lion attacks. So there's like eyeballs hanging out and scalped cool. heads and blood. And so they, they must have kind of wondered what was going on. See, this is in, such a uh, perfect setting for a murder mystery where, where someone, you hear a scream from the bingo hall and they're covered, <laughs> they're, you, everyone runs in, they're covered with claw marks. And then... <laughs> <laughs> but it's somewhere in the building. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Uh, yeah. So, yes. Uh, yeah. That that conference was uh, super interesting. That's amazing. Yeah. I mean, forensics is always kind of interesting and cool. But this one in particular, because, you know, you're looking at the different, you know, the telltale marks of a bear attack versus a cougar versus some dude with an ice pick. Who it, it, There was actually a case where a guy killed someone on a hiking trail, killed him with an ice pick to the neck. And some doofus goes like, yeah, this is the work of a cougar. Yep. (laughs) (laughs) So the guy goes free for like decades, finally confesses and when he's in jail for something else that, you know, he got away with murder and uh, then he got busted. And of course, he, was, the, he, he wasn't even trying to frame a cougar. He just got lucky that someone else thought it was that. When they exactly. Found yeah, yeah. No, he great. wasn't. He wasn't trying to frame. Far as I know, he was not trying to make it look like a cougar attack. And it really didn't either, you know, because right. an ice pick, it, it, it's a round hole and a, and a cougar's f- fangs, canine teeth are kind of not round. I would say, you know? yeah, like an ovally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, the claw, yeah. and the claw mark is triangular. And, uh, you know, there's going to be the top jaw and the bottom, you know, they bite onto the back of the neck. So you're going to have a top jaw mark and a lower jaw mark. And there, there was not that. There was just sort of a triangle of three puncture marks, as I recall. So... Yeah, uh, not not so good. Not so good police work there. Yeah. <laughs> right. Well, can we talk a bit about cougars? Because I or, or cougars or the thousand other names that cougars go by. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. I I live in California now, uh, which is I believe is it, is it mountain lion in California? Yes. Yeah, people here say mountain lion. That's right. In Florida, they say panther, and uh, somewhere like South Carolina, catamount. Yeah, right. I've heard that. I've heard yeah. catamount. Yeah, puma, puma. Yeah, where do they say puma? Like New Mexico or something? I don't know. Puma. Uh, yeah, I didn't realize it was so regional. That's that's really interesting. It but is. Yeah, it's kind of. It, well, it, it, I, and I grew up thinking they were all different animals because I lived in I lived in North Carolina, then Seattle, then California, <laughs> and and I'm just like, man, we got a major wild cat problem happening here <laughs> uh, with all so these many different wild. I cats know in this is like we're not going to make it. People talk about outside. People talk about global warming, but these cats. <laughs> well, it's just the ins- same guy with a different backdrop. <laughs> yeah. 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 Exactly. But they are, they're also, 
I I hadn't realized how stealthy they are, and also how how likely to have been near some I have been if I've given that I've been hiking just outside of LA loads of times. Yeah, yeah. This the the guy I was uh, I was out in the woods up in Modoc, which is far north California. They're doing a census, trying to get a like a count of how many cougars slash mountain lions slash puma slash catamount slash <laughs> panther are in the state. And because um, he was talking about how stealthy they are and how you, you just won't see one. I mean, you, if you if you're gonna be trying to catch a glimpse of a cougar, you basically have to have hounds and tra- track it and eventually tree it. Like you're, you, if you're just walking through the woods, you're you're just almost never gonna see a cougar. And he said, I would bet my paycheck. Now he works for Fish and Wildlife, so it may not be a lot of money. But <laughs> I would bet my paycheck that on. I think he said, what was it on any given day somebody has been within pouncing distance of a mountain lion and not known it i might not have that exactly right yeah, i think I just, it was like 20 people or something it was it was a it was it was a i mean i know yeah. california is a massive state and there are millions of people but still it was like just just the fact that they are just very good at being stealthy they're very good at being near to where people are but just invisible in the undergrowth and just you just don't see them yeah exactly I, and, and they and they're coming around it and they've always been doing this coming like the middle of the night come into an urban or suburban more likely area and like nab a cat or a chicken and they've always been doing that but now that there's doorbell cameras people are like oh my god there's cougars everywhere <laughs> right that that's yeah. the uh yeah the, the sudden prevalence of doorbell cameras is it, it's like um andy and i years ago worked on a on a clip show for tv and it just one of those like um like here's weird clips from around the world and funny clips and nearly all of the craziest stuff on the road came from russia and so it gives oh, this yeah. sort of false impression that there are the Russia. I mean, Russia is quite a crazy place, but it gives the impression <laughs> that Russia is the craziest place. But it's just because they all have dash cams. Exactly. Uh-huh. For liability yeah. reasons, right? For liability yeah. reasons, because it is a crazy place. But so it is. Like, and those videos are awesome. I've watched a lot. I've spent a lot of time watching Russian uh, dashboard cam footage. Right. It's insane. It, yeah. yeah. And now everyone has their doorbell cams. Now suddenly everyone's just like, look at this, look at this stuff in our area. Look at the, look at yeah. these mountain lions that just exist that have suddenly started to exist in our town. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And they, and they and they'll you know it'll be one mountain lion, but people are like, yeah, there's one over here, and then there's another one. There's like 15 mountain lions. Um, yeah, I and mean, it's kind of like they're kind of like the mammograms of wildlife science. You know what I mean? It's like the incidence isn't really going up. It's just that now we're good at detecting them because we have this technology. That's a good analogy. Mm. Love yeah, that. Thank you. Thank you oh. very much. Yeah. yeah. Interesting. Yeah. <laughs> so now we're doing a, a, a mountain lion census to redistrict the, yes, we're, the mountain yeah. lion. We're, we're gerrymandering. Yeah. We're gerrymandering. Yeah. 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 There could be one sleeping on our house right now. We just wouldn't have known it previously. <laughs> <laughs> we wouldn't have known it. And they get three representatives for some reason. And then the it's other guy. Right. Yeah. It's not right. It's not right, people. While we're talking about sleeping, uh, you there was a little, there was a footnote, a diversion about uh, hibernation of bears. I say a little footnote. Anyone who's familiar with your books knows that you make footnotes go a long way. There's a lot of fun in the footnotes. But I did, I guess I just didn't know how hibernation worked. I didn't really understand what hibernation, I didn't know. I kind yeah. of thought they were just napping. I didn't know what, whether they got up and about. What, when, uh, when it's bears, yeah. what do they do? I, I, I thought that, like you, I thought they're sleeping for months. And, and I was like, what? how do they 
I not starve. Okay, I know they eat a lot of stuff before they go in. They fatten up, so they're losing that weight, whatever. Just like but seasonal they, depression. Just every winter, <laughs> yeah, these bears get really extreme. Yeah, seasonal depression. They don't leave the house. Yeah. But if you, yeah, yeah, you know it is. Uh, if you want to waste time uh, along the lines of the Russian dashboard cams, there's footage you can find by bear researchers taken like uh, from inside the den. These are guys that are going into. I'm going to check that radio collar on this hibernating bear. I'm like, you go into a you wake up a hibernating bear and he goes, yeah, they're kind of, they're just kind of out of it. They're kind of, kind of logy, you know, they're, they're not mm-hmm. asleep. And they, they, the females, they give birth while they're hibernating and nurse the cubs. They're kind of just sort of slowed down and they're mm. not, they don't get up and go to the bathroom, which I said, I mean, I mean, you know, it's, uh, yeah, if you, I can't make it through the night sometimes without yeah, getting to go work? to the bathroom. How do you not do that for two months? Uh, so they, uh, or however many months it may be, they have, uh, and here's a nice term, they have a fecal plug. Oh. <laughs> they, they, they have a, they form it so they don't, they're not pooping in the den. Cause you would think that it would be a pretty vile smelling environment between the sleep breath, the poop, the urine. Uh, and they're not, they're not peeing. They're, uh, uh, it, it, and I asked, what does it smell like? And they said, just kind of like earth and roots. It's nice. <laughs> I really wow. want to go to a hibernating bear den now. Yeah, just hang, have a little before. Airbnb there or something. Just, oh, uh, just man. Feel, really get back to nature. Yeah, curl up. So much for that. Wait, so say more about this this uh, poop plug though. What, what, what do we? I mean, is this something they they uh, it happens naturally or they they fashion these every autumn? What what happens? <laughs> just over like a pottery designer. wheel with I've their got a bear paws. Poop plug. Yeah. Uh, uh, no, they they happen naturally. They, I, okay. you know, I don't. I, I I've not seen one. Or uh, you live read. in San Francisco, Mary. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's every year a couple people end up in the emergency room with one of those. Yeah, yeah, yeah. they're in storefront windows. Yeah, every yeah. year um, fecal plug plays a film or they all come around. <laughs> <laughs> it is a good name. For wow. <laughs> you know, guys. You know what? Uh, What's bumming me out these days? Speaking of fecal plugs, you know what's a, a real bummer? <laughs> uh, what's that, Jesse? Well, so, y- you know, I've got a kitchen. I've been doing a lot of uh, food prep and stuff in my kitchen. And um, here's here's a problem. You know, pandemic's on. Dangerous to go out and buy stuff. And I need some new tongs, you know? Tongs. And I've, yeah, and I've been very frustrated that there's literally no way to learn wood-turning basics to make seven handy kitchen items. <laughs> Have you guys? There's, I, there's I no need, way. No, there's literally no way. I need seven handy kitchen items, and if I could learn how to do some wood turning basics for Jesse, specifically, what's what's going? What's that, Matt? You're you're going to shit a plug when you hear this right now. No because way. Because there, there is such a way. Of all the courses, of course, that's the course you found, Jesse. <laughs> our 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 sponsor that we love, Wondrium. Wondrium has what's thousands. This now? thousands and thousands of videos classes explanations information the wonder of the world at your fingertips i don't like it i'm a great courses plus man matt jesse what one great courses plus is now wondrium it has become wondrium and in the process (laughs) yeah and in the process they have also absorbed a bunch of other services and a bunch of other video libraries so it is even bigger even more extensive that's why you could you could probably make anything your kitchen needs with, <laughs> with again, of course, that's what you're doing, Jesse. Uh, what have you been up to? What have you been learning, Andy? 
Uh, well, actually, I'm, I'm thinking about a trip to El Salvador this fall, uh, pandemic permitting, so I'm trying to bone up on my Spanish. So I've been watching Learning Spanish 2, How to Understand and Speak a New Language, with a focus on the vocabulary um, programming within that. So great, so, great if you want to learn a language. There's tons of language options in Wondrium. There really oh. are. And you can get a free trial. Thanks to our partnership, thanks to their kind sponsorship of our show, you can get a free trial for a month, one month free trial, if you go to wondrium.com slash probably. That is W-O-N-D-R-I-U-M dot com slash probably. That is a free month trial of unlimited access. It's a really smart thing to do. Think of all the time you waste just scrolling through your phone mindlessly. You could be putting that time to good use, learning some great stuff and being entertained. Or, or saving yourself a trip to the kitchen supply store. as you Yes, exactly. <laughs> Absolutely. So once again, that is a free month trial of unlimited access at wondrium.com slash probably. Let's talk about bird strikes for a bit. because Because yes. that's definitely bird something strike. we were all aware. Speaking of band names, we were all aware of bird strike. I, did, I knew it affected planes. I knew they, they tested plane engines. I didn't know that it also was something that NASA has to worry about. Uh-huh. Yeah. No, I didn't know this either that the... Uh... Uh, one of the space shuttles hit a vulture, or maybe the vulture hit it. I guess probably the former. Uh, yeah, and that was pretty. Uh, there's video of that also. There's video of everything. So there is video, and you see this bird, you know, kind of like happily. So because you know, you can imagine the thermals from a rocket liftoff are kind of awesome. So the birds. Oh, it's like, great! Great lift. <laughs> That's like a theme park until it suddenly <laughs> isn't. Exactly, and then wham. And that was caught on camera, so NASA, the people at NASA were very, very nervous uh, uh, because, you know, even if you just have a, obviously, the bulk of the damage was to the vulture. Yeah. Um, but if you just a little ding on something moving that fast uh, through the air, you know, on a, on a liftoff, it can, can throw things off and can deteriorate quickly. And so they were very nervous about that. It didn't, I don't remember it getting a lot of play in the press, but... This was after um, Columbia, you know, when the, uh, that yeah. was the one with the, Columbia was the one where the little piece of foam. Yeah. Yeah, right. yeah, yeah, yeah. So, sim- yeah, it could have been a similar sort of thing with the vulture, but they were all okay. Yeah. So, when there's going to be any kind of a liftoff, there's this, um, for the days leading up to the launch, there's a um, roadkill patrol that goes out and cleans up roadkill a lot faster than normal because they don't want vultures coming, oh. hanging around. Don't, they want to attract any vultures because they, they don't want that to happen again. So there's a, like a roadkill posse, I think they call it, <laughs> that uh, cleans up the roadkill. Wow. Well, speaking, speaking of birds, we've had a lot of stories on the podcast about how surprisingly intelligent corvids are and uh, crows. Yeah, and crows. Yeah, and um, obviously we've been trying to stop them from stealing with scarecrows for... A super long time but i guess now they start to associate those with food and it, maybe those don't work anymore like what's the what's the current thinking to how, how we outsmart the smart yeah. birds well birds uh it's it's you know easy to startle a bird but it's pretty hard to keep a bird away that way you can scare a bird off um but they come they come right back and they're they're pretty smart they, they quickly figure out this is in fact just some sticks with yeah. stuffing and clothes. I am not afraid of this. They're, they're, you know, give them some credit, people. So they, um, and someone did a test with a, a hyper-realistic, it was actually a taxidermied predator, like a, a, a falcon or a hawk, 
something that would indeed strike and kill these smaller birds. And they put this stuffed taxidermy item up in the tree, whatever, and they look, they calculated how long will it take for these little birds to habituate. In other words, to realize, you kind of call your bluff, like, okay, yeah. that's going nowhere. Here's how long that was effective. Five to eight hours. Wow. <laughs> so people, you know, they buy those owls that they put, those, you know, realistic yeah. statues that, you know, for a day, maybe work. So, uh, that, yeah, that's not very effective. You can, um, the best thing, the best thing with, with birds to keep birds away is to just not have the stuff around that they are after. Like the, the, the what I focused on in the book, cause I loved the irony of this. This is, um, the people who grow bird seed, sunflower seed. Okay. The, the sunflower farmers are all in North and South Dakota. And this is, this is right in the path of, Tens of millions of migrating blackbirds, grackles, cowbirds, crows. So they're all like, hey, check it out. Big field of birdseed. Yeah. So, it's, um, it's like the sort of perfect roadside stop on their journey. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, it's kind of like when you go from San Francisco to L.A., you stop at Harris Ranch you know, for their burger. Which is, that's <laughs> like this is where they stop. And so the sunflower farmers, I mean, my favorite, my favorite solution was the sunflower farmer who ended up becoming a senator, Terry Wanzek. He's like, the birds won. I give up. I'm going into politics. That's the best thing <laughs> no. you can do. Just don't frickin' try to grow bird seed in the path of millions of birds. It's futile. Is my advice. But they, people do that. And they've tried, yeah, they've tried, uh, breeding sunflowers that, uh, hold on to their seeds, that they're, they're packed too tight. They've tried to do that, but there wasn't enough oil content in the seed. That didn't work. They've tried spraying them. But, you know, when a sunflower is dry and ready to harvest, it bends its head over. So if you have a crop sprayer, you're basically spraying the green part, uh, the back, you know, where there's no seeds. Mm. So that didn't work well. Uh, so, you know, the people use drones. They're trying to use drones. They're, they're looking at lasers, which kind of <laughs> sort of work, but nobody really knows. Anyway, it's a problem. I would go into politics. That's what I would right. Yeah, it's just much, <laughs> much easier to easier. deal with senators than crows. <laughs> yes, now, exactly. Has there, uh, in, in your research, Mary, has there been any, um, uh, how do I explain, uh, like positive mitigation? And here, here's what I mean. Uh, my, my parents have a garden in their backyard and there's a woodchuck. They have a woodchuck issue. Uh, groundhog depending on where you live. Yeah. And um, it's eating all the okra. It eats the peas. It eats everything. And I uh, I was like, why don't you guys just feed the woodchuck every morning? Just feed it. Yes. You know, just put yeah. some stuff down there. And it and it did. It solved the problem. Very proud of myself. But then yes. I'm like, I'm not some genius that came up with this. Um, no, that's great. Yeah. I mean, pe- people surely have been doing this. So in, you know, in villages that, that have issues or farmers that have issues – have they, are, are there any, is there anyone doing that? Like yeah, um, is, distraction, are, a distraction technique? Yeah, they call it a, uh, the sunflower people, we'll go back to them. They call it a lure crop. So they'll okay. take some acreage and plant something else that's very appealing and that's low maintenance, not expensive to maintain. Uh, and they'll have that to attract, you know, to try to attract them. So, so yeah, that like, because you can't, I mean, the best thing to do, I mean, the most effective thing to do is to not have the food. But if you want to have a garden, you're going to have a garden. So yeah, what are you right. going to do? Yeah, either you put some sort of netting or, you know, but the, a lot of these, the, the digging animals will just go underneath, you know, they'll just dig under and come up from below. So so your solution is a good one. Well, Give them something else to eat. 
Well, yeah. what we're talking about ways of finding solutions. Let's talk about. I'm, I'm, I don't think Jesse's parents have similar means to the Vatican. <laughs> you don't know them very well. I don't know you them don't very know them, well. You don't I, know them very well. Yeah, I'm not sure they have the sort of sovereign wealth that that the papacy has access to. But can we? They, they do have their own newsletter. <laughs> That's uh, true. <laughs> and your dad has some very fancy slippers. Right. <laughs> <laughs> So let, can we talk about the, the Vatican City and its various animal issues? Well, sure. Yeah, Vatican City. I heard about this this uh, strange phenomenon where uh, when the Pope uh, the Pope every year says Mass, Easter Mass, uh, in St. Peter's Square, 50, 70, 80,000 people. So there's this crazy, huge floral display that come, they, you know, these refrigerated trucks come down from the Netherlands, 6,000 daffodils, tons of cut roses, that are up on the altar and the steps leading up to the altar. Okay, it takes them all day to set it up. Looks really spiffy. Uh, what happened a couple of years ago was that the gull, there's a lot of gulls in Rome. And the gulls, the gulls sort of came in around five in the morning and just wreaked havoc. They just knocked over daffodil <laughs> pots. They weren't eating anything. Gulls eat pretty much anything, but they don't like plants. So they're just like just strewn about. There were rose, cut roses everywhere. And this is like two hours before the public comes in. So they had to run around, set everything up. And so the guy, the florist, is like, what do I do? So he ended up hiring this person who invented a laser scarecrow, which (laughs) (laughs) sadly does not have arms and legs and a head. It's just sort of a box with a, it looks like kind of a, a disco light show, but it's just one color. It's just green. And this laser twirls around and the entire plot of where these flowers are set up. And there's this belief that uh, lasers, lasers do seem to work fairly well in some scenarios. Like they, they discourage birds from loafing on a rooftop or they, you know, so there's situations where lasers do seem to work. Uh, and they call it uh, because the, the, the green laser in low light, apparently birds see it as a green stick coming toward them, which is understandably kind of scary, kind of freaky. And this is called, by the way, the stick effect. <laughs> it, it is in the How documentation. How do they come up with these names? I Good don't name. know. Yeah, it's crazy. So, Sunflower, um, stick effect, this is crazy. The stick effect. So, so the, and this, you know, the Vatican, they have a lot of money. Because, okay, the, the area where the, where the flowers have been set up is, you know, the size of maybe... Uh, a gap store. It's really not, it's not, it's not even an acre. I was like, did you think about just hire, you know, those, the guards, Swiss guards with the striped knickers and the knickers meaning not panties, right? right. Pants, right. short pants and the funny hats. Like you could have just had a guy sitting there all night and just running off the birds. Like, did you need to, and not, and they had not only, not just one laser scarecrow because this is the Vatican. They had two, they set up two laser scarecrows, which struck me as sort of, a little bit of overkill, but you know, yeah. it's it's the Pope. Yeah, to be sure. And it you, go, you, go big, you go big for the Pope, or you go home. You do. <laughs> See, exactly. In, in my mind, since it maybe doesn't even work that well, the Pope just really wanted to have. He really wanted to sort of like go to a disco and <laughs> yeah. have a party. And he's like, no, it's for the birds. Like, also they they hate loud house music. I heard they hate <laughs> they hate it. They hate Jello shots. Um, they hate this stuff. The Pope's we been going get... to Burning Man for years. We all know yeah. this. Yeah. He keeps it under wraps. Oh, yeah. but yeah. <laughs> um, I know we don't have that much time with you, but I, 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 um, before we go, I do want to talk a bit about poisons and poisons in nature. Because uh, I, 
I, d- I guess I didn't know for a start where things like ricin comes from. Yeah, castor beans, right? I think yeah. that feels like something I should have known, but also you can't just eat castor beans and the- die of ricin poisoning. Yeah, that was kind of amazing to me, both uh, castor beans and also rosary peas, from which you get abrin, which is even more deadly than ricin. And both of these are on like the select list of toxins that the government, you know, tracks and monitors and gets really freaked out about because terrorists might use them. Uh, and I got interested in this because the rosary pea, it's this really pretty little seed that's kind of half, it's sort of a yin and yang, red and black. And I had a couple of them on my desk, you know, and uh, the, we have toddler grandkids coming over and I'm like, (gasps) (laughs) I had on my desk the source of the most lethal toxin, phytotoxin, plant toxin uh, in the world. Um, But as it turns out, uh, and sadly we know this because people have tried to commit suicide by rosary pea, uh, you can uh, swallow them and they just pass right on through and you're fine. Maybe a little diarrhea, but uh, basically you're fine. So same with the castor bean the castor bean, uh, if you just swallow it whole, again, people have done that, sadly, uh, you're fine. You have to, I mean, it, it isn't that easy to, to, to end up with the kind of purified ricin that you would use to commit For an assassination. Yeah. yeah, exactly, exactly. To, like, the guy who, uh, the, the, that the KGB assassinated in, in London with, the, they had the fancy umbrella with a little, like, they had rigged up this, it was just like James Bond. You know, the, yeah, the, the poison tip. The poison tip, and it was ricin, just a little jab. A little jab will do you. So that, uh, it takes some doing, which is good because as I discovered, you can go on the internet, put in the, there's a code number for ricin, and you will find all these chemical supply houses that uh, you could order. <laughs> I didn't go so far as to put through an order because mm-hmm. I didn't want yeah. to be, <laughs> to on be the flagged. FBI. <laughs> watch list but um that was possibly the most horrifying chapter because there were just a bunch of pieces of information in there about how just quite easy it is to get really dangerous stuff well and the other thing was that the guy i spoke to who works with ricin who has reason to be shopping for ricin uh he looks at um uh antidotes to ricin and also he does other white hat research with ricin but he said, he said, I don't think that the FBI is concerned with the websites like the one that you were looking at, but they should be concerned at, about this, which is you could synthesize the gene that encodes the toxic part of ricin, dump that into a highly contagious virus, and then let that out into the world. Like, that, that was specifically the sentence in there that was the most like, holy shit. Exactly. Do we have to edit this out now? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> are we, are we no. on this? I feel I bad. I I feel bad though that this guy like needs ricin for work, and then all these assassins are flooding the market. <laughs> I know it's just and <laughs> driving up the prices. It's like I know. like imagine if your horse had worms right now. You know how, <laughs> how horrible your life is. You're like I can't. I really seriously. I need this. Please. There's, there's a run on it right now because the KGB is being particularly active this week. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. 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 You got to go to the black market. That's well, all there is to it. Well, Mary, we we should we should start wrapping this up, but um. Firstly, this book is fantastic. Congratulations on it, and thank you oh, for thank you thank you so, for getting us a little advanced copy so we could have yeah. a look through it and talk to you. Can I just ask what was what was the most surprising thing for you? I, if if this isn't a huge question, but what was the thing that surprised you the most in your research when you were writing the book? Well, I was I was quite gobsmacked. I'm going to use a term that you're not allowed to use here in the U.S. just because I like it. I'm not British, but anyway, <laughs> I was gobsmacked. <laughs> 
I'll accept. Uh, is gobsmacked that uh, five hundred people a year in India are killed by elephants? This just blew my mind. And el- I mean, because I was raised on Babar, you know, <laughs> it was Dumbo. I just right. that, mm-hmm. that was surprising to me. Also, not so much surprise, but delight. The great emu war uh, with in um, in the thirties in Australia, where <laughs> these wheat farmers called in the military on a mob of emus and this you know, happily the, the emus prevailed the emus won so that wasn't it was it was a surprise but also a delight so that that story i was pretty fond of well well that's awesome uh, congrats on the book there's obviously yeah. huge numbers of things we didn't even get close to touching on in the book so i highly recommend you get it we'll put all the information on the website and the show notes for, for that yeah it's fuzz this is uh it's joining mary's monosyllabic series of uh, <laughs> yeah. science writing with a uh, bonk and grunt. I mean, what? Stiff, you're ru- spooky, stiff. Bonk, yeah, bonk. you're running out of syllables. I know, I know. This book was called originally, I had called it Animal Vegetable Criminal, which is the title in the UK. Oh, but that's then, a good one as well. Mm, yeah. yeah. Oh, we yeah, have a lot yeah. of British listeners, so that's that's what's to look out for there. We should say yeah, that. Yeah, right, exactly. And then, then Mark Bittman, the food writer, put out a book in February called Animal Vegetable Junk, which is oh. a history of food, which... That doesn't really roll off the tongue matter, and play yeah, on the original thing very well. But it was enough to uh, spook the publisher, so they uh, we oh. had we changed the name. But anyway, Fuzz I was all ready well. to go with nine syllables. I'm I'm <laughs> yeah. I'm not wedded to my single syllable, but yeah, I don't know. Secretly, maybe I am. Uh, Mary, where else can our listeners find you, as well as the places where we'll point them to the, buy the book? Uh, MaryRoach.net is my website, which has an excerpt uh, from the book and other stuff. And uh, on Twitter, I'm uh, Mary underscore Roach. Well, that's awesome. Uh, Go to that, buy the book. And Mary, thank you very much for taking time to talk to us. Oh, thank you guys. So much fun. Love it. Thanks a lot. Thanks, Mary. Well, that was Mary Roach. That was phenomenal. And her her new book, Fuzz, When Nature Breaks the Law, is available everywhere you get books on September 14th. Which is almost pretty much now. Yeah. Yeah, I'd I'd say that's how the dates on that work. Yeah. (laughs) Sure. very, very few minutes from now. That's pretty much exactly like just a couple of days, just a few days away. Now, isn't, uh, if I'm not mistaken, isn't like today or tomorrow, I mean, I guess I, this depends on where you live, but it's the last, I know here in Nashville, I think today is the last sunset after seven o'clock. Oh, oh we already had, it's, it's setting for me like 645 already. I thought so- you were about to say ever. And it's just going to get <laughs> yep. deeply sad. Yeah, it's it's uh, we're in a real dark time here. No, yeah. I think it's today. It's the last one after seven uh, until March twenty second or something of next year. Uh, yeah, weird. Yeah, I, I never it. thought of seven p.m. as a delineation as a cutoff mark for night being too early, but I guess it is. I guess seven is like that's the evening time, and so any time after that. Yeah. I mean, I think seven o'clock is the perfect sunsetting time, if you ask me. It's like before that, it's you know, it's a bummer. When it's when you're it's having like, your pre-dinner, your pre-dinner cocktails. That's the perfect time. You go, you go out to dinner, you have a little drink, and just as you're drinking your pre-dinner drink, that's when the sun sets, and then you have the food in the darkness. Yeah, but you still want <laughs> you have the food in the darkness. In the, <laughs> that's a weird way to work. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, uh, oh, I, I did that one. There's a, there's a restaurant. There's a few of them around the world, but there's a restaurant in London called Don Le Noir, and the whole point of it is just, like, it's completely pitch black. Like, you go in there, you have to put anything that lights up 
I think I talked about this on the show maybe years ago. You put anything that lights up in a, in a locker, like your phone, or... I actually got right. really annoyed because one guy had a watch with a slightly luminous dial and he hadn't locked it up, so every so often I could see a pinprick of light. But um, the idea... It, the, the, the whole gimmick of it is, like, you're completely sensory... Right. Like, all the sense of sight is gone and you're just relying on the other senses. It takes they, a lot of trust. A lot it, of trust it in does. your they, chef. Yeah. Well, they, they employ blind waiters who... Oh. Yeah, just already used to navigating the world in the darkness, and um, but the, the food was—I don't know if they've sorted it out—but the food was kind of mediocre. It was just like oh, I think they were man. just well, the kitchen—they're also totally in the dark in the kitchen, <laughs> yeah, exactly. And when they're buying it, like even the even like the sourcing the the ingredients, <laughs> just yeah, everything. it's just every there's there's no light. No one's doing anything, but um, but I realized afterwards, like it was kind of a fun experience. But I would have had just as much fun if I was just in a completely dark room with stuff and just told that I can muck about. <laughs> like it would have been just as much fun if there was just like a kind of, you know, like a, a child's soft play area, but complete darkness, and just, they were just like, "Yeah, go for it, have fun for for an hour." Wow. wow. And soft, pl- I think soft play has come up before as as a thing that we don't have as a term. Uh, yeah, what I think is it's hilarious? Wait, but. what is it? What, what do you call? What do you call the, like the sort of kids' playground areas that are just everything is like soft and foam, and you can bounce off every surface, and it's just like you know, there's like normally little climbing frames and stuff like that, but it's all, it's, it's all, all soft. It's all soft. It's all. I don't see, think that I exists. I don't think yeah, I didn't even have that. I mean, I've never even seen like. Is it just all made of wood in Nashville, and they just like knock yourself it's, out? It's like well, no, when I was, wood, there's splinters everywhere. Like, yeah, when yeah. I was growing up, it was like horrible. I mean, it was it was horrible. It was like this horrible metal that had sharp edges and i mean yeah i mean it was playgrounds were were you had to be careful you know yeah i've never heard of this soft uh, but yes soft, soft, play. soft play area in the, in the complete darkness i would take that i would also take a copy of mary roach's book fuzz there you go available <laughs> available slick, now slick. wherever Wherever you get books, we'll, we'll uh, put we'll a link to that. To yep. Yeah, we'll put a link to that at probablyscience.com. That's also where you can find all of our info, all of our stuff. Yeah, you can find us on Twitter at probablyscience, individually at Andy T. Wood, at Jesse Case, and at Matt Kirshen. Probablyscience at gmail.com is the email address for any questions, comments, clarifications, and stories you would like us to cover. Motoring through. Look at that. Yeah. yeah. Anything else to plug? Anything else to shout about? Andy, Jesse? Not I. We, well, we should talk about the fact that we recorded this interview um, before the pandemic. Uh, we recorded this interview three years ago, and it's a bit weird when we talk about how awesome the next few years are going to be. Just don't worry <laughs> about it. Um, no, we recorded it a few minutes ago. Uh, <laughs> I love when that happened. Like we've seen that a lot though during the pandemic is where um, people content had made that was, yeah. content that was made beforehand, and it's so jarring and weird. Yeah, just see- seeing like hu- strangers hugging, you mean, or what kind of stuff? No, I mean stuff that just ignores that like this looming giant threat. Like, um, you, you know, I don't know what I'm talking it's, about. It's, it's, all, a bad no, it's also weird to go on. Well, see, no, it's like, no, I, like, it's I, like I, June two, 2021, and people are just going to the pub or whatever. Yeah. Well, I think it's also weird that a lot of things just made a, a concerted effort to avoid talking about what was happening because they thought people were so sick of hearing about it. They don't want to ha- like, I mean, not to talk about Jeopardy again, but just anything like related to what's going on that, that came up in a, like a, interviews, they would cut out. They just didn't want, they wanted it to look as though everything is exactly the same. And I'm like, I think in the future, people will be kind of interested to see this like slice of what was happening now and not this weird 
denialism fake smile as we're going through the worst times in our lives. Right. Right. Did they but, do that with uh, other wrong? Did they do that with other stuff though? Yeah, I mean other things that I wrote on last year, it was always about avoiding talking about what was happening even celebrity substitute which was they want it to be well that that was a weird one because it was specifically the show only existed because we were obviously learning from home but um but i wrote don't mention that in the intro just sort of hey here for some weird unknown reason is janelle (laughs) monet teaching art yeah i wrote on a show last year called respiratory uh respiratory pandemics and we couldn't bring it up we could not bring it up and it was insane it was like guys uh we should uh janelle monet didn't teach art did she I've Janelle Monet taught uh, civics. She taught um, there we go gerrymandering and Terry Crews taught art. Terry Crews taught art. Bill Nye taught the, evolution. The other way around would have been crazy. Anyway, yeah. <laughs> we should wrap this up. Buy buy Mary's book. Thank you yep. for listening, listeners, and thank you for being back on the show, Jesse. Yeah, hey, no problem. Bye-bye. Bye bye.